this is from Revelation chapter 2, 1 to 5. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you, you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Pastor Chloe. Thank you, Miss Karen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it's life and health to us and we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and gives us illumination in Jesus name amen we're believing for God to speak to us this morning and God's word imparted to our heart and believed and acted upon changes our lives for the good we've been doing a series on uh, on love uh, really is the the last stage really on a year of discipleship and this uh, letter is a revelation the revelation uh, given to John uh, from Jesus Christ and the first uh, the first uh, and then uh, he addresses the seven churches the first church is the church in Ephesus and Ephesus uh, was probably the major church Paul was there for around about three years and started lots of missionary uh, churches from there in fact the other I think in fact all of the other six churches other than Ephesus were started from Ephesus and Ephesus was a good church. It was a healthy church and uh, a missionary church. And by the time that this uh, that Revelation was written, which was in the later part of the first century, the book of Revelation, it was still going strong. But, and I think uh, when Jesus says, uh, you're doing real well, guys. You know, you're, you're, you're watching out for heretics and you're, you're following up on people and you're looking after this and you're being real careful. But I've got this against you. And it's a real strong way that he says it. It's a real personal way. And uh, it kind of reminds me of any relationship when you're, you're going through the rote, you're going through the actions. But, you know, you know that Van Morrison song? Not feeling it anymore. You know, does anyone? You know Van Morrison? Anyone? Thank you very much. Anyone else know Van Morrison? Thank you. We can see the cultured people around here. Van Morrison. Now, Van Morrison is a singer, musician. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Not feeling it anymore. It's interesting that, uh, I mean, we talk about love. Love is, agape love is uh, earnestly desiring and wanting to do the best thing for the other person in any given situation. However, it's obviously more than that. It's obviously personal. And Jesus obviously took it, took it person, personally that this church in Ephesus that was doing, going through the, the, they'd been going to the Bible studies, they're on the setup crew, they're on the hospitality team, they've been doing everything right, 
But he goes, yeah, I'm not feeling it, guys. <laughs> I just, I'm not feeling it anymore. And we know that can happen in any relationship, true? You go through the ropes, you're doing all things, but I, I, you know, I'm not feeling it anymore. And this was a big warning because the end result is that they could fall away. So God takes uh, the love relationship that we have with him uh, personally. And he knows, um, let's say when our heart's not in it anymore. He knows when we're really doing it for, uh, out of obligation or we're doing it for appearance sake or we're doing it because we know we feel guilty if we don't do it. And he goes, guys, you know, I appreciate that you're, you're sticking in there, but we're not feeling it anymore. And so love is more than just doing what is best for the other person. Love is actually caring for that other person and uh, doing it out of the desire of your heart. And so he says here that you have left your first love. And, and uh, we've all probably been through things and, and it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to look at the things which once you felt very passionate about in your life and now not so passionate about those things. And it's interesting to examine the process that uh, went on to do that years ago uh, in the early 1980s. I went and visited um, with um, in Nigeria Archbishop uh, Bensonita Hosa over there, and we stayed with them for some time. Stayed with some missionaries there, and uh, before I left, um, it was January that I went over, and I was a, a mad, a mad keen cricket nut. Like I really followed the Australian cricket team. I, I knew all the characters in there, all the players, who they were, you know, Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson and the Chapel Brothers, all those great names. And uh, surprise, surprise, in Nigeria, they did not have Australian cricket on TV. I know that's a big surprise. It just wasn't big over there. And so I was there for quite a few weeks. And when I came back, uh, which was in February, the cricket season was over, and, and I've, I've, I noticed something very interesting. I really couldn't care less. I know that's a shock, but I couldn't care less about how the Australian cricket team went. And so just that period of time uh, between, uh, you know, December right through to February, my love for cricket waxed cold. I know that's a shock for you. It was a shock for, well, you didn't know me back then, did you? But it would, <laughs> she's sitting there. I don't know if I believe that because you've got to understand that first week of our honeymoon, we were married 20th of, 20th of December. And then so the 26th of December, we all know what happens on the 26th. Any decent Aussie would know what happens on, what happens on the 26th of December? Sydney, <laughs> the Boxing Day test. <laughs> The Boxing Day test. So we're on our honeymoon, you understand, and we're at Lake Taupo, I think, in New Zealand. She said, you're telling this story again. We're on a honeymoon, and I get up. I won't go into all the details, all right? And I get up early one morning, and I put on the Boxing Day test, and I sit down, and I watch it. And Linda, who's American, who doesn't understand Australian culture, gets up, 
And she, and she said, okay, he's watching cricket. I understand that. He's watching cricket on our honeymoon. Okay, so half an hour goes, an hour goes. After a couple of hours, she comes and stands in front of the TV. I said, how long is this game going to go on for? I said, five days. I'll just about cover our honeymoon. <laughs> I've got plenty to do. What are you going to do? It is amazing, though, what you, what, you, what you give your attention to with regards to how your affection follows that. So Jesus is saying to the church in Ephesus, he said, I'm not feeling it anymore. Apparently, our love for him, we have the risk of it waning and waxing and going cold. And it has a big effect on our Christian walk. It has a big effect on our relationship with God on eternity and our life on this earth. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in John chapter 17, he says it again. He says, I pray in John 17 that the love that I, Father, the love that I have with you, that they would have with us and they would have with each other. And so our love for God and our love for each other is an important, for Jesus, it's important. And he's sitting here now, so he was sitting here now watching us, but really the church in Ephesus is really the gateway. It, it, it speaks to all churches and some of the other, other churches, some things apply more to other churches. not. But this applies to all churches. And our, and our own Christian walk has our love for him waxed and waned cold. Now, you don't just fall out of love. It's not like you don't just um, wake up one morning and go, I don't love that person anymore. Or wake up one morning, I don't love that thing anymore. It doesn't ha happen accidentally. The word he used here, he said, your love has grown cold. Which actually means your, your love has been fanned cold. The, wind, the cold winds of life have blown at it. The worries, the fears, the other distractions have blown at it and it's grown cold. Now, those of us, there's some here that are new Christians. But there's those of us that have been saved for many, many years. And we know what it's like for our love for each other and for our love uh, for God to grow cold. And you don't just wake up one morning and you're falling out of love. You know, if you're married or you have a partner or someone you love, you don't wake up one morning and fall out. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say you fall out of love. You wake up, I don't love him anymore. It happens step by step by step by step. So it's important. It's, it, it, I find it challenging to think that Jesus is looking at you, looking at me, looking at the church here, Redeemer, Redeemer Coast, and saying, how's our love? How's our love walk? How's our affection towards each other? And there's risks, there's reasons. He gives reasons. There's reasons why. In uh, Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, Because 
the increase in lawlessness in the end times, because of the increase in lawlessness, is one most translations have, the love of many people will be blown cold or will wax cold. And this is a, it's a warning for us. It's a warning for any relationship. But he says, because of the increase in lawlessness. Now, he's not just talking about, and it does talk about, you know, all the uh, ungodly things that are happening in the world. And, but he's actually talking about any distraction which is not of God. Um, any uh, thing that rears its head and goes, blah, 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 look at me, look at distraction. But, but it, it, it's not of God. And so recently, with uh, the, you know, the last couple of years, there has been a great falling away uh, in the church. Uh, the local churches all around the world are saying it, and especially after COVID. And if it wasn't COVID, it was the vaccine. <laughs> we felt like we were getting hit, weren't we? You don't need to agree with me. You probably don't agree with me. I don't even agree with myself sometimes. But, but, we, but we felt like we were getting hit in one way, we were getting hit the other way. It was actually, you know, with, are you, are you pro-vax? Are you anti-vax? Is this, you know, how bad is this? And it's lawlessness. Because it's not of God. And yet, it, one way or another, it distracted us from, from our relationship with Him. We were talking, I know Linda and I were talking about it probably 18 months ago. And she said, it's not in the Bible. Doesn't say anything about it in the Bible. So it's a conviction. And all these things, that, that's lawlessness. It's lawlessness to have our focus taken off who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what his will and plans for our lives and our lives are. And our love grew cold just from distraction. Jesus uh, said, he said, because of lawlessness, their love will grow cold. John, the apostle John, the great apostle of love, says in uh, 1 John 2, he says, if we love the world or the things of the world, then the love of God is not in us. For what is in the world is not from God. Now, you've got to understand, that's not talking about the beauty of creation, and there's different sorts of love. I mean, I, I do like looking out there. I, I do love looking out there. But he's talking about what grabs our focus, what grabs our attention. And when he's talking about the world, it's really the world system. What is going on there? You know, and, uh, you know, a, a big trap for me, and some of you will understand this, so is, is, is things like rugby union. Now, I found it a lot easier lately that the wallabies are getting smashed. I find it a lot easier not to have my affections drawn to that way. But, you know, when, uh, you know, my, uh, my son was playing, uh, playing rep rugby and playing in the, the GPS thing, like every four or five times a week, go to training, go to this, Saturday morning you get there, and my, folk, and my love for rugby grew. But Jesus said, if we love the world, or the things, whatever is of the world is not of God. And the love of God is not in us. And so it matters what we put our affection on. It matters where we turn it. Well, 
lawlessness 1 john matthew 13 now matthew 13 so this the parable of the sower it's interesting and this is jesus said now if you understand this parable you understand how the kingdom of god works and there's four types of people in there and all one of them some of them just don't get it right from the start but then another one there's the second type of people they hear the word of god and it says they receive it joyfully but there's no depth in them and so it falls away and and eventually the second and it's just the fourth group in which that that seed is down and they've uh, meditated on it they've thought about it and they've allowed it deep in their heart and they're the ones that reap the harvest it matters to god where our affections lie it matters to god how we love in deuteronomy um in deuteronomy 8 11 to 18 god warns the children of israel as they go come out of egypt and they go into the promised land because they had a hard time you know had a hard time in israel had a hard time in egypt slaves for 400 years they escaped persecution they went through the wilderness he said now when you get into the promised land and when things start to get comfortable with you he said remember the lord your god tell it to your children set up memorials that as you travel around the land you remember the victories that god has done because if your love waxes cold if your love wanes cold you'll fall away i grew up uh, i grew up a salvationist <laughs> you hold tight onto that you might just go with it you know like mary poppins <laughs> uh, I uh, grew up in the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army went through a huge revival in the 1800s and the early part of the 20th century, the 1900s. And my father, who passed away probably four or five years ago, he, he grew up as a young child through the Salvation Army. My, my grandparents, my aunties and uncles on, on all sides were Salvation Army officers. And he would tell me, and he'd probably tell me by way of warning, he said, we noticed something about people saved into the Salvation Army. Now you understand it was William Booth that said, I'll pitch a, I think he said, I'll pitch a tent or something like that of, by the gate of hell, by the gates of hell to save one person. And so they'd go into the streets and they'd go into the pubs. He, he'd get, they'd get pub tunes and, and change the words for that. And, and they'd get people saved who are alcoholic, who are prostitutes, who are destitute. And who knows once you, once you, once you turn to God that your life turns around and those things that held you in sin and held you captive before, they turn around. And these lives were, were changed marvelously. Drug addicts and alcoholics just cured and healed and delivered. And people whose lives were, 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 were not just going to hell but were destitute were saved and, and cleaned up. And, and God will do that to you. He'll pick you up out of darkness and he'll clean you off and he'll give you a new hairdo and he'll shave your face and give you a suit and give you a reason for living and give you a purpose in life and that first generation of salvationists took the world by storm and and then they raised their children to be thankful and to appreciate because they would tell them the stories of you know i was like you don't know but when i was a kid you know i, I you know I, or when i was in my 20s i was an alcoholic i was on the street and i heard the salvation army band come down when we were kids We'd go, sometimes after the service, the band would get out and we'd march down the main street in Hurstville in Sydney with the band. And I, was, I have to admit, I was a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> I 
And my, my pa, my granddad, would get up there and preach, you know. The band would right, march right through the center to the shopping center, and the cars would park, and the Salvation Army band would be there blowing the way, you know, soldiers of the cross and power and the blood and all those wonderful songs. And when a crowd had gathered, my pa would get up and he'd preach the gospel. And that second generation of people, they, they were raised to appreciate what God had done for their parents and where they would have been. They said, if it wasn't for Jesus, you would have been on the street. If it wasn't for Jesus, I probably would have been dead. But my father would tell me, but something they noticed, the third generation, whose parents had never tasted what the effect of sin and the work of Satan on their life, and their parents had never tasted it, and they, many of them never told those stories that God says in Deuteronomy to tell your kids these stories. Tell them where you would have been if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. And they noticed a great falling away with that third generation. I pray, parents, family, that our third generation, that we tell them of the beautiful things of what God has done for us. Because it matters to God that we love Him. It matters to God that our hearts turn towards Him. So Jesus, um, Jesus, uh, he's the love doctor. Now you said that was a movie like that, was it? Love doctor. Was that Hitch or something you said? Because he doesn't want to leave us there. And so he gives us, in Revelations chapter, chapter 2, he gives us three things to do to return to our first love. And the first thing is remember. In, in, uh, in uh, Revelations 2, he says, Remember where you have come from. Remember what it was like when you were first saved. He says, take time, stop, and think about it. I know, uh, Linda went overseas for, how was it, four months, five months recently? <laughs> she went for like seven weeks or something. And the first couple of weeks I was in mourning. I was destitute. I talked to her on the phone, you're missing me. She's going, yeah. She's traveling around the States. I, was, I think the second night, I turned off all the lights. I hooked up my phone to the Bluetooth speakers and I went through all the 70s and 80s songs. All the Eagles, all those sad songs. I went through them all. You know, every single one of them. And, and each one would remember, you know, and I, you know, I don't know, there was just sort of comfort in feeling sorry for myself. And those of us who are new saved, who are newly saved, and we have that excitement that God has touched me, He's changed my life. This is a, we need to remember this. We need to stay in love, keep our heart focused on God. I remember when I was first saved, well, as I, I gave my life to the Lord, second time actually as a, just about turned 12 and I was at a youth camp, a Baptist camp. Yeah, it's communion later, but you can't have any. And um, I saved at a youth camp. The youth camp was a Thursday night. And I went out and I asked, I, I can remember my parents asking me, you know, I think I took, they took me to a Christian bookstore 
and uh, I think it was one that was in Gladesville. And I went through all the Bibles and I found this beautiful, white, good news Bible. Who remembers the good news Bible? Yeah. Uh, it was a beautiful, white, good news Bible. And it had a white cover. And everyone else's Bibles were brown, black and blue. Mine was white. It was special. And I carried that, by that Bible, sat by my bed. And first thing in the morning, I opened that Bible. And last thing at night, I opened that Bible. And it wouldn't go, and I memorized verses. You know, and then they said, we've got a Bible study on Wednesday night. at, at Gl- <laughs> We've got a Bible study on Wednesday night. So I said to Dad, would you take me to that Bible study? He said, yes. So he would drive me to this Bible study at Gladesville. And he would sit, he was studying part-time from, at that stage they had courses on ABC radio, so he was listening. So he would study while I was in this Bible study. And I sat down there with my white Good News Bible, and I was so glad to make Christian friends. I, was, I didn't have any Christian friends at school. And so I was sought out fellowship, and, so, and there they were. There was like 12, 15 of us sitting around there. I can remember one guy standing up and giving his testimony. They asked him to give his testimony. The guy gets up, he says, he says I've been saved six months. And I can remember thinking to myself, man, one day, one day, I'll be able to say, I've been saved six months. And I was so excited about that. I was in love. I was in love with God. And, and I, got, I got a letter from, someone get me an air rifle, wouldn't they? <laughs> no, honestly, the, I got a letter from the local minister, the Presbyterian Church, and there was a new minister there, and he wanted to he wanted to start a youth group. So I thought I'm going to have a youth group. I got church on Sunday. I got Bible study Wednesday night. You remember this? I said I got youth group. Fun. My week is made. You know. So I went to this first youth group. You know, it was me and this new. His name was Eric, the new Presbyterian member. It was me and him. That was it. That was the youth group. But I ended up inviting all my friends. I said, we've, we've got games and we, we, you know, we, we learn. And I ended up five or six of us, I think, and, and five of them got saved. And that was our youth group. And, and it was just made, I was in love. And later when we, we moved to Taree, I can remember I met some Christian friends in the school and I couldn't wait for Friday night, I couldn't wait for church Sunday, I couldn't wait for Sunday, much like you all here now. I, it was just... Jesus said to remember. Remember what it's like when first... Remind yourself. Remind yourself. And then he says, remember? And he says to repent. It's a big religious word, but it actually means to decide to change your mind. And and all of us in our Christian walk, we have to decide, do I want my love for God to grow cold? Do I want the love for my partner to grow cold? Is that what I want? Is that what I want? And to repent really means 
to come to a quality decision. That's not what I want. I want that first love again. And there's a lot of things. Satan's a liar. He'll, he'll try and tell you, you know, those times you've sinned and you've fallen down, that you've ruined it and, and that you can't come back. God knew that. He knew that. Jesus still died for you. He knew all of that. He still says, but this thing is hurting me. That you've fallen from your first love. So he says, repent. Repentance is easy. When you've thought about it for a while, it's easy. Because when you've really thought about it, then, and you've weighed up and you said, this is where my life can go for the next few years, the next 10 years, the next 20 years. This is where it can go. It can go down that path where my heart grows cold, where I don't walk in the fullness of what God's had for me. I get to the end of my life and I think, what will matter? I'll get to meet God. What will matter? I can do that or I can rekindle the first love. Um, they've got this um, new um, exit, the Caloundra exit. You know, you go one way up Steve Irwin Road and you go another way and who drove past that exit? Was it just me? <laughs> I remember coming down from Nambour, coming down that way, and I'm driving along, and, uh, and they'd moved the turn-off on us. The turn-off used to be right there near the overpass, and they've moved it like a kilometre south. And so I can remember driving past it. I did it like twice. I drove past it and drove, and I think, eh, there's the bridge to Caloundra, you know. <laughs> there it is, up there, like going past it, and you know, like Caboolture, I know it's a nice town, nothing wrong with Caboolture. Some beautiful people live in Caboolture, but that's not me, you know. And uh, who knows, I repented. I repented of driving to North Lakes. I repented of the direction I was going. And I decided, I don't want to go to Caboolture. Nothing wrong with Caboolture. Perfectly good people live in Caboolture. That's not where God's called me to be. I live in Aruna. And so I had to decide. Now, I repented before I turned. And so repentance, Jesus said, he said, remember your first love. Remember what it was like when you first got saved. And we get testimonies from people. It's so good. It's my, my life's changed. And, you know, remember that. Remember how he saved you, how he healed you. Remember how you were lost. Remember how you were hurt. And remember, God's call is still there. It was, Jesus said, this hurts me. He's, when, he says, when he says, I've got this against you, he, he's, he wasn't mad at them. He said, this is hurting me. He told his disciples, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. I call you friends. There's one way, you know, you ever had those relationships you kind of want to drop? There's some relationships you, think, you just think that they're taking up too much of my time or, or, you know, they're not a positive relationship. You know the way to drop those relationships? You neglect them. You just, you, you take a day or two, and I'm not speaking about you here, Trevor, because I understood you were out hunting for two weeks and so didn't respond to 56 of my texts. That's all right. You're here now. My heart's healed. But, you know, like you just neglect it. 
And the greatest way for a love to grow cold is to neglect it. You know, wives know. You know, wives know. They know. Women know. Us guys, we're just insensitive. We just do all the right. But I'm doing the right things. You know, no, no, you don't. You don't mean it. You know, and I feel it. You, they know. I'm trying to do everything right. No, 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 no. And the way to neglect a relationship, the way to get to cool off a relationship, just neglect it. Or I'm busy. Or you know, I can't come this time. I got this. Or I can't do that. I got that. It is no different with our relationship with God. It is no different. If you want it to cool off, neglect it. You know, what I've found is it's totally different. My life's totally different. If I get up and I, I like to work in the garden or I'm out walking or something and I put on a, a good sermon and then I've got this set, I've created this set on YouTube, a YouTube worship list. I've called it my worship list. Has anyone got your own favorite worship list? That they Is it just me? Right, thank you, my worship list. And I put that on and I listen to it over again and it just stirs my heart and I'm reminded of the goodness of God and, I'm, and I, I recall the good things God has done. Jesus said to repent. He said to decide. He said recall, remind yourself the good things God has done and we've decide, am I going to keep going this way? Am I happy for my love for God to grow cold? Am I happy? I would tell you, I had such fire on me as a kid. We had an outreach. <laughs> we had an outreach at the Manning, at Taree, the Manning River District Carnival Taree, and the church decided to have a, an outreach. And, and uh, they said, do you want to sing a song at this outreach? And I said, yeah, I will. And I got up on the back of this truck, and I had, I had my guitar. And, you know, they were all my friends, all my friends from school. They were all there. They knew I was a Christian, but they were all there in the crowd. And I said... <laughs> I sang this Larry Norman song. A anyone remember Larry Norman? No, well, Larry Norman, he was a hippie, a Jesus band. From, and he had this song I remember singing, Sipping whiskey from a paper cup And drown my sorrows till I can't stand up Take a look at what you've done to yourself you got to put the Bible back on This with my best Bob Dylan voice, you know. And, you know, I was so embarrassed, but I did it for Jesus. I did it for him. I did it because I didn't want to be ashamed of the gospel. I did it because I knew what he had done for me. Jesus said, remember. He said, repent. And then he said, do the things you did when you were first in love. Now, C.S. Lewis said Christians shouldn't worry about what they're feeling. They should, they should do again what they would want to do, what they did when they were first in love. And there is a story, and I've heard it sourced to a few people, but there is a story of a lady who wanted to go for a divorce, and she said to her lawyer, she said, I really want to hurt him. He said, you really want to hurt him? Well, let's not get divorced for a few months. Let's spend a few months. I want you to cook him his favorite move. I want you to tell him how much you love him. I want you to go out for him, spend that time with him, come back and see me in a few months. She came back in a few months. He said, right, well, let's do the divorce. She said, no, I don't want to do it anymore. She, he said, why? He said, because I, I love him. And Jesus said to do those things again. With, not from the works, not because I have to, because I, I want to love you, Lord. 
I love what David said. The scripture it was coming up in my mind. I desire to do thy will, O Lord. And I looked it up and it wasn't there. He didn't say, I desire to do thy will. He said, I delight to do thy will. And so I changed my confession. I said, I delight to do thy will, O Lord. I delight to spend time in your word. This morning, I get so busy, I find it, I, I neglect prayer. I don't know if you're like me and you get so busy and, and I think I've got to do the things which are really God's responsibility to do. And so I tend to neglect prayer and then I've got to pull myself up and I've got to get down on my knees and I play this little worship background worship track and I pray and I always come out refreshed, just that 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. He said, do the things you first did. Don't let lawlessness steal your heart. Don't let it steal your affections. Do the things you first did. That's Jesus' love cure. I'm glad, and Jesus knows, because the Bible says he was a high priest, he was tempted in the same way that we're tempted. And he knows what it takes to come back, to come back to loving God and come back to loving others. Remember, remind yourself of what he's done for you. Sometimes it's good when you're praying just to go through all the things, to be thankful and go through all the things he's done for you. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you forgave my sins. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my loved ones. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my job. Thank you. For, and go through all those things he's good done for you. And come back home. Because it matters to Jesus that we love him. And it helps us because he wouldn't tell us to do this if it wouldn't help us. Because love always does what is best for the person. And it's best for us to rekindle this love. You don't fall out of love with your partner. You don't fall out of love with your brothers and sisters. You don't fall out of love with God. You don't wake up one morning. We just allow the things and worries and anxieties to blow us, to blow it cold. We stir it up. Now we're about to take communion. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, so if you want to open up your communion and maybe the worship team can come up here. You open that for me. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he says, I'll, I'll recount to you what was given to me that on the night when Christ was betrayed, thank you. I got that. Thank you for this. Someone in the church brought us these little things so the birds won't come and steal it. He said, he said on the night, we're good here? Hello? Guys, have I got sound? That's right. One, two. He said, on the night, uh, Paul wrote, on the night that Christ, Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it pays for us to remember what he did for us. It pays for us to remember that he bore our sins. He bore our shame. He bore our guilt. It was real pain. It was real love. It hurt. I mean, it really hurt. 
and the shame, the Prince of Glory. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. May I, I like to break the bread. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord. I remember what you did for me. I remember that you took my sin, my shame, my guilt to the cross, and you bore it on the cross for me, that I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And then it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And what this does is it guarantees us free, unfettered, bold access to the heavenly father. That's the blood of the new covenant. Not dependent on how good we've been living or, or you know, what we've done wrong or what we've done right or how, how long we've prayed. This is the reason. This is how we come before the Father. And the Bible says, come boldly into his presence. Boldly. And we come boldly before him today. Boldly. That we might find grace and mercy in the time of need. So he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Drink this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we come boldly before you today. Father, we remember what you've done for us. And in your presence now, we ask in Jesus' name, we thank you the eyes of our heart will be opened to your great love for us, the length, the breadth, the height, the depth, the width of your love, and the surpassing greatness of your power in our lives to change us, to lead us forward. And Lord Jesus, we hear your word about leaving our first love. And we turn again to you, our hearts to you, our mind to you. To stay and fall in love again and stay in love again. And we thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name.